Amen indeed. Thank you, choir. A couple of weeks ago, in my mail was a bill. Now that's not unusual. That calamity befalls all of us at one time or another. But among those bills was uh, an invoice for our homeowner's insurance. And as I was paying that, I happened to glance at the paperwork that comes with it. And it said, in your premium is included, uh, $139 of that goes for earthquake insurance. And I thought, earthquake insurance? I don't live in California. Why do I need earthquake insurance? I live in Tennessee. I thought we were safe from that kind of stuff. Well, it turns out, after I checked, Tennessee has an average of six earthquakes every year. 533 since they started counting back in 1931. Now the largest of those on record was on November 30th of 1973, south of Knoxville, in the Maryville area. It was three miles underground, and it was 4.7 in magnitude, which is considered light. And that's the worst earthquake we've had. But the U.S. Geological Survey estimates that earthquakes as large as 7.5 in magnitude, which are considered major, are possible in the, what they call the East Tennessee Seismic Zone. Now for comparison, one of the most famous and destructive earthquakes in American history was the 1906 San Francisco earthquake that you may recall. It was 7.9 in magnitude. We could have 7.5, they had 7.9, and it killed more than 3,000 people, and the earthquake along with the resulting fires destroyed 80% of the city. So I've decided to keep my earthquake insurance. <laughs> now I've heard that if you were in San Francisco today and an earthquake happened, the safest place you could be will be right in the middle of the Golden Gate Bridge for a couple of reasons. One is there's some flexibility there. But the more important reason is that uh, every piece of metal and steel and concrete and Every cable and wire is ultimately related in some kind of load-bearing way to the giant piers that go down underneath the San Francisco Bay to solid bedrock. In other words, its safety is all a matter of the foundation, and the foundation is solid. The foundation is stable. As we come today to the end of this series on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus issues His conclusion. And in it, He talks about the importance of building on a solid foundation for surviving when the big storms come our way. We're in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. And if you're able, I would invite you to stand with me for the reading of the scripture this morning, the words of Jesus as he concludes this famous sermon. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Thank you. Please be seated. Uh, you've no doubt heard this little story of Jesus' before. Maybe heard sermons on it, in fact. And uh, undoubtedly, you've been told of how much these two different builders have in common. The similarities that they share. There are quite a, a number of them. For example, both of them had heard the same message. Jesus repeats himself with both builders, verse 24, verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine, they had heard those words, you might say. Both of them were exposed to the truth of the gospel, to the truth of God's revelation of himself and Jesus Christ. They both heard that, but someone might ask, well, did the foolish builder hear the message accurately. There was a study done about 30 years ago that found that the average adult spends 45% of his or her time listening, 30% speaking, 16% reading, and 9% writing. But that study didn't distinguish between merely hearing and truly listening. It takes effort to listen. When we speak to one another, they say that we speak an average of about 100 to 150 words per minute. But we can listen and think at the speed of 300 to 600 words per minute. Our brains can go that fast. So that difference is what allows us to process what we're hearing as we hear it, but it can also allow our thoughts to wander. We can start daydreaming. We can be thinking about what we're having for lunch, what we're going to do this afternoon or this evening or the work we have ahead of us this week. And no one knows the reality of that better than preachers do. We can almost see it on your faces the moment that you take that detour into not really listening. Now, that's a, a lack of focus that prevents listening, but there are other things that prevent listening as well. In fact, things on the other end of the spectrum. We can become so focused on something, we get a kind of a tunnel vision going on, and we, we aren't listening to what's going on around us. You can go online, there are YouTube videos from inside the cockpits of small airplanes as they are coming in to land, and they do land, but they land on the belly without having lowered the landing gear. They've, they've ruined their propeller. They've got to pull the engine out and rebuild it. It's a very expensive mistake to make. But the curious thing about those videos is as, as the pilot's coming in to land, you can hear blaring in the cockpit the warning, you haven't put down the landing gear, you haven't put down the landing gear. It's a beep or a buzz or different sorts of warnings, but they don't hear it. Or they hear it, but they're not listening. They're too focused 
on something else. There are a lot of things that we hear without really listening. Maybe this foolish builder was a poor listener. But whether he listened carefully or not, whether he heard the message accurately, he had heard an accurate message. The words of Jesus. You here in this place have heard an accurate message. Not just what Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm talking about the messages that have gone forth from this place for decades and generations past. Here at Central Baptist Church, an accurate message has been proclaimed for generations. The question is, are you a good listener? You've heard an accurate message. Are you hearing it accurately? These guys have some else, something else in common. They, they both built a house after hearing the message. The wise builder builds his house, which you no doubt recognize is representative of his life and all of the facets that accompany our lives. He builds it on the rock, which is representative of the words and teachings of Jesus. Not only does he hear Jesus' words, but he puts them into practice in his life, Jesus says in verse 24. He is a doer of the word, not a hearer only, as, as James would put it in the New Testament. And the fact that he does that, the fact that he practices the words, the teachings of Jesus, they provide for him a foundation that will safeguard him in the event of a storm. The foolish builder, on the other hand, Jesus says, does not act on what he has heard, does not act on Christ's words, but he nevertheless thinks that his house, his life, is secure. Just because he's heard the words, he's acknowledged the words, so he must be good, right? He doesn't practice those words, he builds his his house on the sand because he doesn't think the foundation is important. He thinks he's living a Christian life when all he has done is given lip service to Jesus' words without putting them into practice. He's like those Jesus described back up in verses 22 and 23 we talked about last week. They call Jesus Lord but they've never made him Lord by serving him as Lord. And Jesus tells them, depart from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. That's what these foolish builders are like. They hear it, but they don't do it. They acknowledge Jesus. Maybe they respect Jesus, but they're not following Jesus. Clarence Jordan said to uh, Decades ago, he said, we'll praise the hind heels off of Jesus. We just won't do a single thing he said. And there's a lot of truth in that. Jesus calls those foolish builders who are destined for catastrophe. My wife once uh, told me about a young lady that she was trying to help and uh, counseling with, and she was just shaking her head. She said, this young lady... She's looking for a husband. 
She says she wants a husband who believes in Jesus, but she doesn't really care if he goes to church or not. Foolish girl. You, you can't really believe in Jesus in any kind of a meaningful way and not have it change the way you orient your life, the way you behave, the way you act, the way you react, if you really believe it. If you really believe that you were going to die tomorrow, you wouldn't go home this afternoon and waste time rearranging your sock drawer, would you? That would be foolish, wouldn't it? Because you really believe tomorrow's the end for you. If you really believe that Jesus is Lord, it changes the way you live. A professed belief in Jesus that doesn't reorient your life is just as foolish as that sock reorganization project. Arranging deck chairs on the Titanic as it's sinking been put by some foolish. Well, both of these fellows build their houses in the same circumstances, apparently. Tony Evans says, these guys live in the same neighborhood. We know that because the same storm comes upon them both. Jesus describes it in the same way, very same language, and it's a bad storm. There's rain coming down from above. There are floods coming up from beneath. There is wind blowing at the side. And the point that you don't want to miss is that the storms of life come on everyone, wise and foolish builders alike. How your house fares in those storms is dependent on your preparation for them, what you've done before the storms come. In a sermon that Tony Evans preached on this text, he talked about a cruise to Alaska that he and his wife took along with some of their ministry supporters. And as they were coming back, one night a, a, a bad storm broke out. He said it was the worst storm that that cruise line had ever experienced. The waves got tens of feet, as high as 50 feet, he said. Things were sliding around, people were seasick, throwing up. He said it was a messy situation. And then he talked about how his wife reacted to that. I hope he did it with her permission. He says, my wife became evangelically ticked off. She picked up the telephone and said, may I speak to the captain, please? They said, ma'am, the captain's on the bridge. He can't talk to anybody right now because of the storm. She said, well, would you please tell him I'm very upset that he would put us through this when he could have avoided it. He knew it was coming, and I just want to register that I am thoroughly upset about this. And they said, we'll relay that to the captain. Well, Evan says a few minutes later, our phone rang, and it was the assistant to the captain. He said, ma'am, we've just received your message. It was relayed to the captain, and he asked me to relay two things to you. First of all, lady, go to sleep. 
because the captain is going to stay up and there's no need in both of you staying awake. The second thing is, this ship was built with this storm in mind. Long before we ever hit this storm, we knew this day was going to come. So way back when we were putting the boat together, we contemplated this moment. And this boat was structured in such a way that on whatever day this storm came, while it would be inconvenient, irritating, aggravating, and exacerbating, while it would be traumatic to go through, what you need to know is all of that was considered when it was constructed. So while the storm is bad, the boat is better. Preparation. Have you thought about the storm that will come in your life at some point? And are you taking steps to prepare for it today? Is your house being built to last? Just because it looks good doesn't mean it is good. The two builders that Jesus describes build houses that apparently look much the same, at least from the outside. Jesus doesn't describe them as being different except in only one respect. They look the same from outside. Jesus doesn't suggest there is any difference in the houses themselves. And the foolish man, so he appeared to live much the same way the wise man did. Maybe they went to the same church. Maybe they had the same friends. Maybe they belonged to the same social clubs. Maybe they sat under the same preaching week after week. But under the surface, something is very different between these two builders. The scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' day looked good, and everyone thought they were good, righteous, they had it all together as far as God was concerned. But Jesus said that they were like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Looked good, weren't good. That's why Jesus, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, verse 20, told His hearers, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means even enter the kingdom of heaven. Because the appearance of righteousness isn't the same as being righteous, which is what Jesus has been teaching all through the sermon. So what is it then that makes the difference? What makes one wise and one foolish with regard to these things? Well, the all-important distinction in the story is the foundation, isn't it? One is built on sand, the other is built on rock. Sand shifts. Rock doesn't. Rock is stable. And the rock in Jesus' story, as we have said, is what Jesus calls these words of mine. The Sermon on the Mount in particular, but the Word of God in general. What Jesus tells us we are to do. And Jesus, if you remember, just like Paul and the rest of the New Testament, boils it all down to one thing. Love others as I have loved you. 
Love others in the same sacrificial way that I have loved you and forgiven you and have blessed you. Those are the words of Jesus. Those who are wise not only hear Jesus' words, but they act on them. If you're wise, you'll live your life by the teachings of Jesus because they guide us into the righteousness of the heart rather than just the external, fundamental, legalistic, external righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes and many in our world today. On the other hand, if you're foolish, you'll think you're safe just because you've heard some sermons on this text. You've done some of the things that you think you're supposed to do, but you've never really seriously considered actually practicing what Jesus preached. You may fool everyone into thinking your house is fine, but one day your weak foundation is going to be revealed. And that's the ultimate difference in these builders. It's the outcome after the storm. Their destinies, if you will. The wise builder who practices the words of Jesus in his life comes safely through the storms. And whatever happens, he safely enters into the eternity that God has prepared for those who hear and obey the words of Jesus. He perseveres to eternal life. The foolish builder, on the other hand, the one who fails in his life to take seriously the teachings of Jesus is ultimately going to be destroyed by that failure. Come to naught. And the choice is ours, whether to build our lives on the rock-solid foundation of the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ or to suffer the inevitable destruction that comes from trying to live our lives on our terms rather than His, by doing it our way, by fighting for what we think we deserve instead of what Jesus has taught us. This passage is the invitation for Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The question is, what foundation are you going to choose? The rock or the sand? I want to conclude by sharing with you a little bit of what I heard on Friday. Thursday and Friday I spent the, all day in a leadership training seminar and the last speaker on Friday afternoon was Andy Stanley, if you know Andy Stanley. I never was a, a huge fan of his father, Charles, but Andy has, has got it going on, I think. And he, he spoke a message that I wish every Christian in America could hear. He, he said, you know, over the, the last couple of years, Christians in America have lost their minds. They're not, they're not acting like Jesus. He said, you get to choose whether or not to follow Jesus. You do. You get to make that choice. But you don't get to choose what following Jesus looks like, sounds like, 
act like or reacts like. Jesus has already prescribed that. Don't call yourself a follower of Jesus if you aren't prepared to follow Jesus. And if you wonder what all of that looks like, it looks like Jesus. The way Jesus acted, the way Jesus reacted, the way Jesus taught us to act and react. So, Jesus would say, build your house on the rock or prepare yourself to see it crumble and fall. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for preserving these teachings, these words of Jesus. We thank you for the freedom that we do have to choose whether to follow Jesus or not. I pray, God, that we in this place are not foolish builders, but wise, who confess and profess Jesus, but follow that up with practicing what we have learned from Him, to be like Him, to truly be His apprentices, to let the world see that in us, to see that we react differently than they would and they do. Father, we pray that for your glory and Christ's glory and for the sake of our world. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.